pasa, todo el mundo? La parte más difícil del ring aquí. Y... I... <laughs> yeah, you thought you hit the SAP button on it, didn't you, you asshole? Just kidding. Um, why am I so aggressive? Why am I so aggressive? I, I try to be fun and I'm just so... That's whatever. But, uh, boy, howdy. Today, you know, I, I, I get... <laughs> I get a lot of uh, good feedback on my episodes, which I uh, really, really greatly appreciate from you guys, uh, whether it's on ratings or comments, whatever it is, I get a lot of good feedback. But the one constant criticism that I always get, always get, is that, hey, hardest part of the ring, you don't have nearly enough Larry Zabisco talk on your podcast. I listen to every episode, and not once do you bring up Larry Zabisco. Well, we changed that today. <laughs> I know you all are thrilled to hear that finally we get some Larry Zabisco, we get some Barry Windham, we get more Colonel Robert Parker, we get, uh, who else? Bunch of old fucks. Bunch of old fucks on this show. WCW Slamboree 1994. And I learned today that apparently Slamboree is generally like a uh, a Legends reunion, kind of a get-together of old uh, wrestlers from the past, and did not go into, <laughs> I did not know that going into the show, so it was very interesting. And thankfully, I had some help because uh, I did not know a lot of these people. Today, we have JD from the Retro Leaf Retrocast on to join me in these shenanigans uh, you can find his podcast on all podcast platforms, YouTube, etc. Um, like I said, the Red Leaf Retrocast. Uh, you can also check out his website, redleafretrocast.blogspot.com. And follow him on Twitter, why don't you, at BowlingJD. That's bowling like the sport. Um, <laughs> is it a sport? I don't know. Like I said, or like always, I'll put all his info in the description as well as mine. So, won't drag this intro out too long. Just want to say, had a really good time with JD here, a really knowledgeable dude. And um, yeah, go check out his podcast. He does a lot of, uh, obviously, retro stuff, retro wrestling, um, but also does stuff on like video games, pop culture, and all sorts of stuff. He's a really good source for... Japanese wrestling too. I know someone like me, I'm kind of casual in and out with J Japan, New Japan, all Japan stuff like that. But if you want someone to follow on Twitter or if you want to listen to a podcast about it to kind of stay up to date with that kind of stuff of somebody that's really knowledgeable about it, definitely recommend him. So check that out. But check this out first, you fucks. Keep listening to this. Uh, <laughs> like I said, WCW Slambury 1994. Um, big show in this grand scheme of things because it's really the last one before Hulk Hogan is a prominent figure in WCW. So it's kind of the end of a of an era here, but probably a good thing. Probably a good thing because there is a lot of bullshit on this show, and I don't want to step on our toes of what we talk about. But man, false advertising, managerial interference, and just a bunch of old relics out there wrestling. Like I said, Larry Zabisco. So <laughs> with that, might as well just dive right into it. Here is WCW Slambury 1994 with myself 
and JD from the Red Leaf Retrocast. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be honest. So I, I was probably like one years old when the show happened. Um, so I'm probably going to lean on you a lot for uh, a lot of the knowledge on a lot of these guys. Because I didn't realize this is going to be such like a, like a legend show. Oh yeah, that's what uh, that's what the Slamboree show uh, was for. I want to say the first five or so years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's good to know. I had no idea. I mean, I was always like um, a WWF watcher. I probably I got in like around the Attitude Era time, and I was full on WWF. So WCW is a completely new thing to me. And um, I guess I'll start off by asking: uh, when, when when did you start watching wrestling? Were you watching during this time? Well, uh, I grew up in Texas. <laughs> so uh, WCW was the prime uh, show I watched when I was younger. And uh-huh. then live shows, I really only went to WWF shows because they were generally, uh, I guess, more popular, ironically enough, in Houston. Right. But as for TV, it wasn't until like the Nitro and Monday Night Raw stuff because uh, I didn't have cable growing up. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until... Nitro and Raw were kind of more in the mainstream that I watched TV. So it was mostly just VHS tapes uh, from like Hollywood video blockbuster that I would catch just out of completely out of order. So it was always just kind of just filling in gaps myself as a child. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I did the exact same thing. I would because I would go to blockbuster and I would there'd be like a whole section dedicated to like wrestling and I would just pick something that piqued my interest and I'd throw it in the VHS player and it'd be like some 1994 shit. Like, who are, who are these people? Where's Stone Cold? Who, who is, who is <laughs> Doink the Clown? What am I watching here? Yeah. Uh, I was, I was always more fascinated with the characters because I was, I was a young child, you know, four, five, yeah. six years old. I always loved the characters in WWF more, but I liked the wrestling in WCW more. So I definitely yeah. found myself as a WCW fan more than WWF fan. Um, but I liked a lot of the figures and stuff WWF had. It was, it was an interesting time. <laughs> interesting is a word for it. Um, yeah, because I just recently watched King of the Ring 94. And it's such a stark contrast because you got like, like I said, Doink and you got Tatanka and IRS and all these like colorful, wacky characters. And then you go to WCW and it's like no bullshit, just a couple of guys in tights. Oh, there was plenty each of other. bullshit. <laughs> oh, there, there was. <laughs> don't worry. Don't you worry. We will get to the bullshit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely I, I just a change of pace. And um, yeah, something I've never really. Um, I've, I've seen, you know, clips from Nitros, like with the NWO and Goldberg and stuff like that. But this era of WCW is like completely new to me. Um, and one thing about this show Overall, the thing that's probably the biggest happening during this time is Hulk Hogan, because uh, I believe he signed like uh, before the last pay-per-view or or sometime around the last pay-per-view, whatever the case is, he signed like around this time. And um, that was a huge shift in the industry back then, because obviously Hogan was the, the WWF guy. He was the guy that brought wrestling to the mainstream. And now he's all of a sudden shifting to another uh, company. Oh, he was pure evil to me. Yeah, (laughs) you weren't a fan. Well, so I was a huge Bret Hart fan. And then, of course, a huge Sting fan. Uh And whom was the guy that took the belt 
in my mind from Bret Hart, it was the returning Hulk Hogan, the quote unquote hero. It's like that (laughs) motherfucker didn't even wrestle Yokozuna. And then this guy, he conquered Yokozuna. Don't get it mistaken. He conquered the evil Yokozuna because Bret Hart couldn't get it done. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine if social media was a thing back then? If social media was a thing, there would be no wrestling fans if they watched (laughs) wrestling in the 90s, because uh, as we'll see from the Slamboree show here, what a cluster of a show. Now, did I have an entertaining time going back to the past? Absolutely. Was it good wrestling? Arguable. (laughs) It was uh, there was some good wrestling. Um, It kind of took a while (laughs) to get there. Um but yeah, like I said, I mean, WCW is still kind of like ramping up to where it's going to be. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I mean, we might as well just like dive right into the show. So, oh, man, let's do it. I got I got a host of notes here. I do. I've been I hear doing WC- unraveling over there with all your notes. Jesus. Uh, yeah, I've been doing WCW Nitro 98 and I just finished it after like a two year journey. All of the Nitros and pay-per-views in 1998 and I'm. Just started 1999, starting with, of course, the first show of the year, because I don't know if you knew this, but according to Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff, WCW was going to be the promotion of 1999. That's what they tell me. Mm, was it? Oh, that, well, I mean, that's why would they lie to us? <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't lie to us even on this show that we're going to talk about. Are you telling me? It wouldn't be false advertising. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I, you're in the heyday of WCW, 98, 99, and then I just say, nope, we're going to pull you back, and we're going to make you watch Larry Zabisco wrestle. You know, I hate him on commentary. I might hate him more <laughs> as a wrestler. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that point if I decide which, which either one is worse. I'm going to tell you something. As, as, a, as a 27-year-old, the only reason I know Larry Zabisco is because he used to be the general manager in TNA. Oh, <laughs> that's, know, that's like yeah, that was a big thing in his career, right? That was a thing at, at one point. I mean, don't even get me started on TNA. Like, you want to bring me back for a TNA episode just to hear me just go into a a fueled rage of what? Well, like, there's I'm a reason why that. WWE never saw that company as competition. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man, I like literally just did a TNA review yesterday and but that's like 2005 tna which is like when it was pretty good Mm, it was it was an alternative (laughs) it was a good alternative it wasn't it it couldn't replace wwe but the x division the tax the tag division then was fucking awesome really enjoyed the x division you know all right you know what i'm just gonna have to bring you on my next tna pay-per-view review and we'll, we'll get into it then i'm in <laughs> I thought that that'll get pretty heated i feel i already i already know i'm in <laughs> <laughs> but man i'm gonna tell you what, what is not the x division is uh some of the legends that were brought out in the beginning of this show man what a uh what a blast from the past oh i can't wait to talk about the mistakes that they made <laughs> <laughs> well, well you go ahead and tell me lay, lay it out for me because i'm gonna be honest i don't really have anything that because all, all these guys are before my time um it was cool to see a lot of these because i mean unfortunately a lot of these people that, that, that the legends that they brought on are uh gone at this point um so it's cool to see in that sense um but yeah man, tell, tell me what they did wrong well uh 
So the problem with WCW was, uh, well, first of all, it's the booking. It was also a lot of the false advertising. And it was also being in Philadelphia and bringing out a bunch of people that they didn't know. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, cause ECW was a thing at this point, right? ECW was a thing. You saw a ton of ECW signs, a uh, chance for ECW, because that's what happens when you bring Terry Funk. <laughs> to the show (laughs) you know you don't want you don't want uh one of the guys that's going to be on your card and possibly in two matches uh why would you want people to chant wcw hello kitty cat (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad you're not my cats have interrupted so many of my episodes why would you want people to chant wcw at your show when you think could chant a rival promotion of the city (laughs) as long as they're making noise right they're just having fun michael yeah they're just Terry Funk, Sabu Chance. They were chanting for the promoter of ECW of the time. We I, want I, blood. You, I don't know if you heard the Todd Gordon chants, but there were definitely Todd signs of Todd is God. I had to look this up because I'm like, that feels like ECW. Because yeah. I, as a child growing up not in Philadelphia, didn't know what ECW was until probably when it was dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> Same here. I think it was still Eastern championship wrestling at this point yes if i'm not that mistaken is correct. Uh, i think it was still like it was like transitioning so it was still there was still a lot of hardcore elements to it yeah and right at the beginning of the show uh, as they're panning over to their uh not paid crowd of 4800 people uh uh-huh. only about uh 3000 were paid i believe if i have my stats uh i refuse to believe that at that that crowd was jam-packed of johnny b bad fans well, it's funny you mentioned that. That well, you know what? I'll save that thought for uh, when we get to the first match. So uh-huh. they trot out all these all these legends. Um, I have the the list in front of me. Uh, no reason to really go through them all. the 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 long story short is it's a bunch of like fifties and sixties guys, uh, mm-hmm. and most of which uh, never even wrestled primarily in Philadelphia, except Terry Funk. <laughs> right. But even then, he was a Texas guy, so it's it's quite funny. Uh, forgive the weed whacker all of a sudden going off outside. I hope you can't hear that. <laughs> it's all good. It adds ambiance to the episode. Jeez, what a disaster! I got, I got a it's cat a jumping up. I, well, you know what? It's a disaster for what Slamboree '94 was. Ah, that's yeah, all tying together, folks. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got some backstage stuff as well of what what stuff was uh, happening during the time to give context to just the state hmm. of WCW and how it never changed. Lay it on me. So, uh, Ravishing Rick Rude was at the top of the card during this time. Uh, WCW was coming off of, basically, you could argue, three straight good pay-per-views. I use that loosely. Uh, Good in terms of being received by the fans. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. uh, Rick Rude, Sting, and a a bunch of the top guys, Vader included, uh, did frequent trips to Japan. And I believe on your last episode, you kind of went into, that's the last time you'll see Rick Rude. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in between the time, um, him and Sting had a match at uh, Fukuoka where Rick Rude did a dive and messed up his back pretty bad. What I feel a lot of people don't know, or at least have forgotten about, was Rick Rude was already battling a ton of injuries over the course of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. much in the same realm as, let's say, Animal from the Road Warriors, uh, very timely, uh, yeah. where he was injured and he went through the, um, I think it's called the Lords of London. Lo- I think it's, it's either Lords or Lloyds, Some, something along those Lloyds lines. Lloyds of I, I know London, that sounds that yeah. much better. Yeah, it's, a, it's basically insurance uh, through injuries uh, because there's no unions in wrestling. <laughs> so right, yeah. uh, wrestlers 
a few wrestlers started being smart about it and taking out their own insurance. Mm -hmm. So there was that issue that they didn't know if Rick Rude was even going to be on the show and they were still advertising Rude versus Vader in the main event all the way up until the show started. Mm. This would prove to be (laughs) a great advertising ploy that WCW would use for many years to come. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say that's some WCW shit. Yeah. And then the other major issue was Ric Flair had a mystery opponent. That was the draw of the show. Who was the masked villain that attacked him? And they did a little, uh, I believe they did a little uh, preview uh, before Uh the pay-per-view started. And uh, it's going to be, spoiler revealed, Barry Windham, the former horseman. Only 33-year-old Barry Windham. Would you have guessed that when you saw him in the ring later? I was too focused on his hair to think about what his age was, to be honest. His, uh, yeah, he had, uh, he had gained like 80 pounds uh, since the last time you saw him also dealing with injuries for the over a year. He hasn't even wrestled in a year because of his messed up knee. So they didn't know he was going to be on the show and they were kind of hinting it was Barry Windham. Mm -hmm. Uh, so (laughs) they had Terry Funk as a last minute replacement. So he was going to possibly wrestle twice on this show. I'll be honest, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have hated that compared to Barry Windham. It would not have been the worst choice in the world. That's for sure. Uh, And I loved Barry Windham. I did a uh, NWO rewatch or not NWO NWA rewatch. And in the 80s, Barry Windham was fucking awesome. He was a cool looking dude. Very swift in the ring. A lot of untapped potentially never met and injuries got in his way and then just not getting in shape uh, that we'll definitely see later. So, right. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if your mind was changed if knowing that this dude hadn't wrestled in a year has a messed up knee and the performance he kind of put out. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I, I didn't notice any uh, knee injury. Um, I, I, I have very limited knowledge on Barry Windham. I could probably count on one hand how many matches of his I've seen over the years. Um, so nothing really struck out to me. Um, I will ask you one thing though. So they're building this guy, this mystery opponent, as. You know, six foot seven, 300 pounds. Yeah. What was that supposed to like allude to Hulk Hogan? It was. Well, yes. Um, it was also possibly supposed to allude to possibly Dusty Rhodes because mm. he was the only other 300 pound guy that you could think of. Right. But in fact, it was Barry Windham that had just gained a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doughy Barry Windham. Yeah. So uh, that's two of your top three matches, uh, false advertised, basically. Mm-hmm. And then the tag match with Kevin Sullivan's, I believe, son or fake son. I uh, can't remember all of a sudden. Uh, Dave he Sullivan? Was, uh, so the guy that the, with the broken leg so. that came out later? Yeah. The broken I, I leg? I don't know if that was a... I, didn't, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, I guess, <laughs> once we Ooh, get I to might, that match. I might have forgotten something. <laughs> it was a very forgettable <laughs> aspect of the show. But anyways, this turned out to be a blessing in disguise. One of the few things on the show uh, where uh, Kevin Sullivan's son or not son uh, would need to be replaced due to his own injury and the fact that they were also uh, advertising him as well. Mm. So a lot of just unknowns on this show. Could lightning strike? No. <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> uh, man that is so that's so funny I mean this whole show Slambury is kind of like I mean it's the last pay-per-view before Hogan correct I believe Hogan doesn't 
doesn't show up on TV until just just pay per views. But oh, yeah, really? I believe he's yeah, I I believe so. Is he not at Bash at the Beach in July or August? Well, that's in '95. He's definitely there because that's the NWO turn. I or is that '96? Right. Ah, I'm messing up my years now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm tw- twisting all your wires. It's okay. Let's concentrate on '94. <laughs> all right. You know, what? there's nothing else that can get us on track like Nick Bockwinkle. So that's how the show starts out, and I guess he's the GM commissioner. This poor uh, whatever, guy. whatever the fuck they're calling it. <laughs> poor Nick Bockwinkle. The- <laughs> Man, he's uh, he's got a lot of stuff to wrangle on this show. But um, so as you mentioned, the, the whole Rick Rude thing, he was the uh, international world champion um, and actually retained it in that match that he got injured in in Japan, which, by the way, if you guys haven't seen anybody listening, if you haven't seen that match or that injury, it's, it's crazy to watch. You can find it on YouTube because the injury is brutal. He basically jumps off the top rope to the outside, lands. There's like a little crease in between the 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 side of the ring and the ramp and just lands like right on his lower back. It's brutal looking. It's a a raised stage. Right. That is. Yes. Yes. But he's still able to finish the match, which is unfathomable. I mean, he just top rope moves, suplexes, like, like can't even imagine, but um, yeah. So he's obviously forced since he retained the title in that match, he's forced to uh, strip it or they were forced to strip it from him. And their whole reasoning behind it was, oh, we use the title to retain it. So uh, after looking uh, back at the footage, uh, we, we've come to the conclusion, like well, whatever the WCW bullshit they did. Oh, um, you can't ignore the fact that they use the old Bill Watts rule of you can't jump off the top rope. <laughs> That's illegal. Oh, is that, oh, is that what they did? I, I yeah. might have missed that. Oh, yeah. I mean, a great rule from WCW. I... I almost expected a DQ of being clotheslined over the top rope to be also part of it. <laughs> Man, uh, th- 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 now you bring that up because Spring Stampede <laughs> that reminds me of the uh, the Steve Austin Great Muda match that ended <laughs> with Austin throwing Muda over the top rope and getting himself DQ'd. Oh, yeah. Man. Rules exist only when convenient for WCW. You want to see a man drop kick his TV for a bullshit finish. That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> One could say that WWE in 2020 has really taken a liking to finishes like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different podcast in itself. It absolutely is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Nick Bockwinkle brings out Sting. Sting comes out in his terrible tie, his blonde hair, walks out to the ring. His awesome sunglasses inside with the rope attached to they, the back they were sunglasses that's for sure um <laughs> no reaction to sting either from the crowd no reaction to a lot of things from uh from philly to oh, the, they, the oh they reacted just not the way that wcw probably wanted them to <laughs> not towards the ring towards uh colonel parker's suit and terry funk uh, but we'll, we'll get into that we'll get into that so yeah they basically nick bockwinkle basically let sting know that hey we're uh, we're we're yanking the title from Rick Rude and we're giving it to you. And then Sting's like, I don't want to win the title from the boardroom or whatever he said. Audibly hearing ripoff chants starting from the crowd immediately. Great start to the pay per view. <laughs> it really sets the tone. Um, so basically, that sets up Sting versus Vader in the main event because Sting wants to earn it because babyface, etc. Well, at least he got that right. I guess. I guess he's trying. He's doing his best. 
Um, speaking of doing their best, the opening match, because every WCW pay-per-view in this era has to start with Johnny B. Bad. Hell yeah. Mr. Johnny B. Bad wearing a I Love Philadelphia shirt and getting booed by Philly's faithful. <laughs> Do you think they thought he was pandering? <laughs> it's fucking, fucking fantastic. <laughs> little Richard asshole. Somebody, he's got some of the worst, not, not to get on a Johnny B. Bad tangent, but God, his nicknames have got to be the worst in history. The, uh, what are the, the kiss that can't miss. Uh, what is it? Mr. Tutti Fruity. Hell yeah, man. Do you got got any more? He was Little Richard the Wrestler. That's what he was. Oh, man. See, I only knew a few months ago, I only knew this guy as Mark Marrow, the guy with the boxing shorts and with Sable. I don't know which is worse, to be honest. I think it's definitely Mark Marrow because his career was pretty much ended because of that gimmick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you got it. (laughs) You don't think it was revitalized in TNA? He was in TNA? Oh, my God. Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, while Johnny B. Bad is uh, is who he is, we got a. Are you flying a jet over there? That would be a lawnmower that we've upgraded from <laughs> to lawnmower outside. It's no worries. I'm on the no third worries. floor of an apartment, and it's five in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's fall. It's gonna be dark in twenty Good minutes. God. <laughs> um. But yes, so Johnny B. Bad versus stunning Steve Austin. For the WCW United States Championship, I uh, I saw this on paper because I looked at the card before I watched it, and I was like, oh, "This will be a pretty pretty good opener. It'll get the crowd hot. It'll get them on fire." And then uh, there's a lot of wrist locks, a lot of uh, a lot of hammer locks, a lot of head locks, and then uh, all of a sudden, the finish comes when uh, Colonel Parker, who is Steve Austin's manager at the time, Colonel Parker gets on the apron yelling at the ref for whatever reason. Um, and then lo and behold, Steve Austin ends up accidentally hitting Parker off the apron. Uh, fucking uh, Johnny B. Bad rolls him up for uh, a, a two count. However, <laughs> the, the bell ringer had a, had a happy trigger finger on the bell, uh, ring the bell prematurely. They just kept wrestling as if it didn't happen. Um, and then they did another botch, I guess. It kind of looked like a botch to me, at least. Oh, it was definitely a botch. Yeah, it was It was awkward, if nothing else. Because uh, uh, Johnny B. Bad went for a uh, back suplex to which uh, Austin countered. I don't know what he was going for here. Um, but it did not look good. Um, but it ended up with him on top. I thought they were going to do this old school double pin type situation. And then Austin was supposed to be the mm. one that uh, got his shoulder up at the end. But of course, they like fell on each other. <laughs> right. It, like, um, I don't know why this is the example that comes to mind, but China and Jericho, I think, did that spot. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess, yeah, that kind of ending I could see. But it was pretty much just Austin smothering Marrow, molesting him of some sort on the mat for the, <laughs> for the win here. Um, yeah, it was way know. too much mat work for the first. God, it must have been at least twelve of the sixteen minutes. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's definitely not very exciting. I could have really used for at least a 
a tope and a Canadian destroyer to bring this match back. Yeah, we need more super kicks. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like not to you know keep tying it to WWF at this time, but I feel like this is this is obviously it's like a transition period in wrestling. It was a down period in wrestling, but you have WCW who is like on one end of the spectrum, just no bullshit, just wrestling, and then you have WWF who is all character work, all colors, all pyro. And then I think as, as the years 96, 97, 98, they start to like kind of meet in the middle to find that perfect balance. But yeah, this match was just too much wrestling for me. I don't know about you. Well, you have to understand that the 70s, 80s and, and prior were a lot of mat wrestling. That's just what the... I'm sorry. That's not. It's not my fault. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's like background uh, music. So the, the, you're seeing this issue in New Japan as well uh, during the early '90s. Uh, it wasn't until you had the Keiji Mudos of the world uh, and the cruiserweights that WCW would eventually bring in mm-hmm. to make the matches more exciting. You can you can only have Larry Zabisco from the '70s carry carry on so much people wanted more wrestling was not popular in the early 90s there was the steroid scandal that mm-hmm. really brought down a lot of it in a, a lot of people's eyes the stars were getting older and it just was i mean honestly it just wasn't really all that exciting this is why ecw uh came to be and wanted to make their own style there there was right. a lot of feeling out periods and this is also why you see a lot of stars just fade out and young people come in that's why it, it was coined the term the, the, the new generation, right, in WWF. Right. WCW was really trying to find that as well, but they were really bent on, uh, well, poaching rather than developing. Otherwise, yeah. they would have kept the Cactus Jacks, the Steve Austins of the world. So they just really had a, a tough time reaching new audiences. Rather, they, they, they had a very loyal fan base, from the NWA, right? And it transferred to WCW, Georgia, wrestling, uh, Mid-South, mm-hmm. a lot of that. That stayed consistent throughout, but they couldn't get that. Well, I mean, let's tie it to AEW. They couldn't get that second million, as people would say, right? Right. They're, they're, but they, we're talking about a company that's been around for years at this point, while AEW is only one year old. There's a big difference here. Yeah. Yeah, there are similarities, though, in that they're, they're maintaining their loyal audience that they have. They're uh, they're catering to who watches it, not necessarily expanding to try to grow their audience. Like I said, different magnitudes here, different levels, but kind of similar in some senses. Yeah, and as we get through the card and the booking, uh, I would I I'm gonna say this now. I I would argue that if the booking was better, then perhaps they could have in time grown their audience. But that wasn't WCW's way. Yeah. Yeah, it was very uh, unsustainable in the ways that they grew their audience because they did, obviously, in time. But that was through Hogan and bringing in Razor Ramon and Diesel and, you know, Macho Man and all that stuff. And it was very little homegrown, quote unquote, talent. Um, Well, I mean, we could look at the card here and there wasn't a lot of young people on the card in general. No, but I also think, you know, to be fair, that's kind of the nature of the show. I think it's kind of built as a past versus present kind of kind of feel. So I think that plays into it 
a lot. To, yes, just, just the, to be devil's advocate. Yes, the Slambury show was a show built on honoring the past, but they're not the ones wrestling, right? Yeah. And you hear that in a lot of the interviews from the legends, uh, where they were they they would put over the new talent. Oh, they're faster, they're stronger, they're better than uh, I ever was or we ever were. Do you want to get that back in the ring? And then they'll go, Oh no. While uh, you can kind of see them mumbling to that'd them, be ridiculous. Rest. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see them like mumbling to themselves, like oh, wrestling's broken. It's ruined. It's terrible. The, yeah. <laughs> the state of this industry is is awful. You know, very. It's it's every it's every generation, right? Ah, wrestling's worse than it was beforehand, right? Right. <laughs> when in fact yeah. it's probably better. But one could argue in the early '90s it was it was very rough, but for other reasons. Yeah, my my favorite example, and I don't want to like get ahead of myself, but after that street fight towards the end of the show, and they cut to like who's a Vern Gagne, oh, Luthes, yes. I think <laughs> that was my favorite because like they do that throughout the show, I guess because we don't need to go into every single segment they did, but it was kind of a thread throughout the show, like in between matches, they would uh, cut to the legends. It'd be Mean Gene on the stage, and he'd have like two legends on either side of him, and. No storyline implications or anything. It was just good natured, you know. Hey, uh, wh- where are you living now? Ah, you want to get back in the ring? Nah, 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 punches him in the shoulder, that kind of stuff. So, um, although yeah. we did get to see some uh, some very old school looking looking people. Uh, my f- my favorite was definitely um, what was his name Red Burn Red Bur- uh, Red Bastion Red Bastion and his glorious oh, mustache, and it made me powerful. Think of, it was a powerful mustache. It made me yeah. think of the butcher and his. He has. Very good facial hair going on, especially his stash, but it's not as kept up. So I just got thinking, man, if he had that match against Moxley and he had a mustache like Red Bastion over here, main event <laughs> star. <laughs> man, yeah, it was, it was like vertical, like almost at his eyes. It was glorious. His I loved it. I need. We need more of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're missing in wrestling today. Some goddamn mustaches. Like if you're if you're gonna go if you're gonna go wacky character, you gotta you gotta own it. Yes. Absolutely. Um, but man, speaking of wacky, um, yeah, like I said, we won't go into every single segment here, but I just want to make note of the hotline. And uh, <laughs> it's basically the whole, de- the whole deal here was you could call a number and vote on should Cactus Jack be banned from wrestling? <laughs> Which is like, so I, I listened to Eric Bischoff's podcast, 83 Weeks, and um, it was in his spring stampede 94 episode he mentioned because cactus jack had a crazy street fight on that show too and that was basically like what caused eric to get rid of mcfoley is because he was just too reckless uh for himself for his opponents for the fans at ringside so this hotline being a thing makes me that in in the uh in the match later (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent. So it's like, is, was this like, I mean, obviously the fans aren't going to determine whether he's banned from wrestling or not, but like, <laughs> is this like a, a, do you think it's like a rib on McFoley here? Or do you think there's, there's any like storyline implications to come out of it? Well, I mean, he was, he was ousted from the company shortly. Uh, I believe it was in 94. Yeah, I believe so too. Yeah. Cause he was, he was in ECW not long after this, I think. Yeah. Him and, uh, him and Terry Funk. <laughs> God. <laughs> what a volatile time wrestler, wrestler of the year terry funk i believe or at least he was a contender in 94 funny enough yeah <laughs> man well that'll segue us right into the next match Tully totally blanchard versus terry funk 
a legends match is what they're uh that's what they're billing this as and um you got G- gordon Soley on commentary you got uh you got terry funk coming out who at this point was already a 30-year legend which is crazy because i think that dude is still wrestling if i'm not mistaken um i i mean jerry lawler-esque i suppose but uh yeah, he- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was. Uh, I, he might be on his third or fourth retirement at this point. <laughs> at least, at uh, and least. he's about to uh, go into ECW, and then he goes. He co- does eventually come back to WCW. He's in WWF as Chainsaw Charlie. He like that dude never retires. It's <laughs> all Charlie. I, I tried to forget about Chainsaw Charlie, and he's bring it back up to me. So Blanchard looked. Uh, he looked pretty good in this match. I thought. I thought so too. I liked. What I liked about this match is how, like, I don't know what the word is, intense, maybe, or just, like, purposeful, like, their offense was. You know, even though these, this is pretty much just, like, a uh, a spectacle showcase, whatever you want to call it. These guys were working pretty hard in there. Um, ECW chance of uh, a foot in this match. <laughs> like, how could you not expect that, though? Like, um, you have Terry Funk doing a moonsault. You got... um a botched pile driver off the second row. Ah, you say that you say it was a botch, but mm. I think, t- <laughs> I think Mr. Blanchard over here was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and he just <laughs> folded himself because you want that, me to he, what? Oh yeah. Because if you watch, if you watch closely, he didn't slip or anything. He just went down. He just went, Nope, mm. not doing that. I'm not doing yeah. a pile driver from the fucking turnbuckle onto a chair. <laughs> I'm 50 goddamn years old. Get me. <laughs> out of here let's go Terry funk you're a madman i'm not having this and uh (laughs) the 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 rumor uh from the insiders of the time was uh funk was supposed to win this match just in case he had to go later and to Mm -hmm. build him up for a world title match but uh mr tully blanchard was like i'm not fucking jobbing for this old man (laughs) of course not who would do that so that was uh that was why this match went to uh Double a schmoz hue, in which, of <laughs> course, the fans were less than pleased. <laughs> hey, it was a hot branding iron. So, you know, it was hot. It's hot branding iron. Of course. But <laughs> absolutely. That's why you choke someone with it. <laughs> exactly. That's why you just grab it with your hands and don't scream. I did get a kick out of Terry Funk uh, elbow dropping and junkyard dog headbutting. A straw hat that he took from a fan <laughs> after the match in his fury. <laughs> God, that's what I do when I'm mad. I go find a random fedora and headbutt it and bite it on the ground. Absolutely. I mean, that's what a normal person would do. <laughs> what an unhinged motherfucker this Terry Funk is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad we didn't see him in a second match tonight. Oh, wait, we did see him again. <laughs> oh, no. Don't worry, folks. We're not done with Terry Funk. <laughs> Double duty Funk over here. Um, but we got some more gold before that. Oh, no. Lord Steven Regal versus Larry Zabisco. Non-title, though. Right, because it's a pay-per-view. So, you know, why, right. would, why would it be for the title? Well, you got to build up. See, <laughs> they saw in the future and like, oh, man, TV money is where it's going to be at in 25 years. Let's mm. uh, let's build matches on a pay-per-view so we could pay them off on TV. Uh, yeah let's build this fresh new star in larry zabisco god damn it yeah the living legend didn't you hear (laughs) he's he is living he is living no doubt about that 
Um, I, I I joke about it, but the dude he was looking pretty uh he was looking pretty stacked out there. Larry Look, Zabisco. Larry Zabisco was never not in good shape. Steven Regal was a problem in the '90s, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, he uh, he loved some loved some vices, one might say. Uh, mm-hmm. Question: Did you time how long it took? Because this is Larry Zabisco, and I've seen my Larry Zabisco past matches. Uh, did you time how long it took them to physically come in contact with each other? If I, I did not time it, but if I had to guess, I would guess two minutes. Oh, you would be exactly correct. Was it two minutes? <laughs> it was two minutes. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, well, as as outrageous as that is, like, I, I loved Regal's mannerisms during this whole match. That was like a, a, a thing that was constant in his whole career is that he was so good at doing like subtle little things with his face or with his body language that well, he he makes British, you though. fucking hate him. Exactly. <laughs> it's that smug and crumpets harry potter ass face and he's just you, you hate him for no reason just because he's walking a certain way and I, I think that that's kind of was was the idea but yeah you probably could have trimmed that to a minute maybe 30 seconds of that and then get to the wrestling the yeah quote-unquote wrestling that we saw there was some wrestling yeah um i'm trying to even it was a very forgettable match i'm gonna be honest it was uh a lot of just, you know, mat work. It was, it was pretty. Are you telling me thing. you didn't like the second of the manager managerial interference on the show already in three matches? It's it's good stuff, man. It's such good shit, pal. <laughs> <laughs> so just to recap, we've had a botched schmoz uh, managerial interference, a double DQ, and now another managerial interference leading to the finish. Yeah. Yeah, the three yeah, for three. Fin- <laughs> was it a was his name Lord Little William or Bill William? Dundee? Hit ah. Zabisco with an umbrella of all things. Mary Poppins Not the umbrella. Would be proud. <laughs> of course, Zabisco kicked out. So does, if this sounds familiar, it absolutely does because we just saw it. <laughs> Got to keep him strong. Got to keep yeah. him strong. Uh, he ends up winning though with a little slick little counter to a double arm suplex. The old classic, you know. Over the over his head, uh, has his arms locked on the ground. Pin sure. So, uh, guess it earns him a title shot. Cool. On TV, yes, it can't, does. Can't wait. Yeah. Hooray. You know what pisses me off? They don't have WCW Saturday Night from 1994 on the network. I don't get why. Because I, I wanted to like watch them to the bill. I mean, it probably would have been a waste of time, anyways. But I kind of wanted to watch them and build it up to this show. Um, but unfortunately, I probably won't get to see Larry Zabisco challenge for the title. Oh, you poor soul. What will you ever do? <laughs> I'm probably just going to go punch a wall and cry in my pillow. We move on usual. to all the plaques being handed out to the people, to the to the legends. You know, my, my, my main criticism here is that it didn't last long enough. Did you notice Michael Buffer was like messing up a lot of names? And I believe there was a point where Mean Gene was, uh, I think this was at the beginning of the show, actually, where he... Uh, Signal for Terry Funk, but he never came out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, was that because they, they kind of alluded to that because Terry Funk had an interview later in the show and they kind of alluded to that. Was that just plain to how like unhinged and unpredictable he was? I guess, but it really just came across because it's WCW. I was like, of course they wouldn't get get it right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Because during this plaque presentation, 
Uh, I believe it was the assassin who got booed because nothing like bringing about a super heel <laughs> for a Philly crowd to cheer, right? Uh, his plaque was was um, not facing the camera. It was backwards. Of course not. And I looked this up. Apparently, they had given him a second uh, Harley race plaque. So he wasn't <laughs> supposed to show it. Man, you could have at least thrown like a stock image of some masked wrestler on there. <laughs> That's basically what he is. It's like, oh, sorry, we got your we got your name and picture wrong <laughs> on your plaque. <laughs> oh, nerds. If only you were also Harley Harley Race. <laughs> sorry, Mr. Assassin. I love reading all these things about WCW because it's it's just so them. They will never not be WCW. What a shit show, man. That that's that's the magic in watching these shows is because WCW gonna WCW every single time. But uh yeah, the plaques. Harley Race, The Crusher, Ernie Ladd, The Masked Assassin, Ole Anderson, Dick the Bruiser. Uh, yeah, just a bunch of old fucks, I guess. But I guess that's what the uh, show's built around. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind. It was, it was cool seeing a lot of the legends. It was like, all right, well, I mean, you, I'd prefer you to just do this in passing rather than this big pageantry on a pay per view. But yeah, the pay per view was short. I didn't really mind it. Yeah, yeah. It would have been like an hour shorter without all the legend stuff, but uh, that's fine. Yeah, give give the old crusher his moment out there with his cigar. I love to see it. It was great. I I always (laughs) love a good giant. You know what? I want Tully Blanchard with FTR in AEW. Tully Blanchard needs this giant two foot cigar every time FTR starts starts winning matches or even if they go to that (laughs) that time limit draw that they invoked because they're shit heels. Uh, uh-huh. He just starts 20 minute draw win again, boys. He just lights up a two foot <laughs> cigar. <laughs> does he not? I f- am I crazy or does he already have a cigar when he's out there? I don't know. I, I know he has the, that. I know he has the cheesy leather jacket, which is hilarious. I love it. There's a lot going on there with Terry, but <laughs> or totally. Um, but uh, man, we got a slobber knocker on our, on our hands in this next oh, match. Oh, no. Do we have to? Cause we all know everybody knows. You're a big bunkhouse buck guy. Everybody knows this is new to me. (laughs) You're you're, you're notorious from it. You love them, but yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Everybody has their own, uh, their own opinions, but, uh, (laughs) I saw buck bunkhouse buck on this card and I just went some good shit, right? Why? I I believe he was like the voted the worst wrestler of the year. Uh huh. One of these two years in the mid nineties, he was horrible. He was a horrible gimmick. Every they built pay-per-view matches around this guy. It was a bunkhouse match. Oh, it sounds like I just made that up, but that was a thing. It's a bull rope nonsense. No DQ match. Whatever. Was, uh, so correct me. So I'm very, I'm very unfamiliar on bunkhouse buck. I've only seen him in the last pay-per-view spring stampede in this match. Yeah. So I, correct- I, I think you got your bunkhouse buck knowledge uh, uh, up to snuff. So he's a heel because He's from Tennessee. Yes. Okay. I got sure. it. Just, just want to make sure I'm, <laughs> just want to make sure I'm caught up. Um, facing Dustin Rhodes, the natural. Um, yeah, this match was, it was what it was. Bull rope match. You got, you got a rope, you got a bull, um, et cetera, et cetera. I actually did like their previous match, that bunkhouse match. It was it the was other whatever bunkhouse match. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it, no. The Spring Stampede had the bunkhouse match. 
this show had the bull rope match. So oh, they're, they're the same playing. thing. Whatever. No, they're different. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> there was no bull ropes in the first match. I don't think there might have been actually. I don't know. I mean, uh, we Dustin talk about Rhodes, he's, he can't help himself with a bull rope. 1994 Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, you got to have a rope in there somewhere. Um, But yeah, this match was what it was. It was just a couple bell shots, a couple, uh, you know, choking him with a rope, et cetera, et cetera. There, it seemed like it was a bunch of, you know, no rhyme or reason to anything they were doing. And then all of a sudden it was over. Um, well, I, think, I uh, mean, you can't forget about uh, Colonel Parker on the outside. Right. Because one thing I was saying during this match is, man, I don't think we got enough Colonel Parker on this show. Well, not only do we not have enough Colonel Parker on this show, we don't have enough managerial interference. <laughs> four for four. He's a heel, brother. He's a heel, brother. And the post-match was probably the best part. Yeah, this is like, honestly, who gives a fuck about the match? The post-match. Good old Terry Funk. He's back, back. baby. Woo! Because <laughs> <laughs> the crowd demands more. They honestly probably did, being in Philly, but... uh. Well, he was booked for double duty, so he's got to come out now. He, you know, yeah. he's not going to be in that world title match he wasn't booked for or advertised for. <laughs> My God, what a what a bunch of nonsense this company was. This fu- I got uh, I got I got to take over here because Terry Funk for it. just storms out, just screams down with a branding iron. He's I guess he never let it go. <laughs> no, but it's still uh, hot though. It it's, didn't cool down. It's definitely still hot. Commentary uh, was very was very adamant about telling us that it was he still sees hot. The smoke. Yep. So uh, I don't know whether he found uh, one of the one of the amazing crackheads backstage uh, that Probably. was booking the show, but uh, that was how he kept the branding hour iron uh, hot. So he comes out, he starts just beating Rhodes to death with this thing, uh, juices like none other, like uh, like Cody Rhodes on an episode of AEW. Yep. Uh, and you would think Terry Funk, thirty year vet, and bunkhouse Buck. I think he was like 20 years in the business at this point. Surely they can hit a, a stuffed pile driver on, on one Dustin Rhodes. Nope, Dustin Rhodes went went full sack and I'm in the jet engine again. <laughs> what a great episode. I <laughs> <laughs> think it all goes yeah. together. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Dustin Rhodes must have been watching Terry, uh, not Terry Funk. Well, yeah, maybe he was uh, watching Tully Blanchard earlier. He's like, man. He was the smart one. He didn't take a pile driver. What a great idea. I'm not going to take a pile driver at all. (laughs) (laughs) I love it because Buck, he like picked him up twice or three times for it. And 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 then Terry Funk just goes, I'm done. I'm just going to hit him with this branding iron some more. (laughs) (laughs) I've already worked enough tonight. You are worthless, Bunkhouse Buck. (laughs) What a God. What a mess that. uh, I don't even remember. I don't even know. I guess they're. Because they they brought Terry Funk in here, and I'm like, okay, it's just gonna be like a showcase for him, a one off, just to make the Philly crowd happy. But it's, it seemed like they're like trying to factor him into storylines or something. Yes, uh, supposedly I don't remember if this um, this set up the tag match between Dustin and Dusty with against Funk and Buck. Uh, mm, Funk and Buck. Be careful saying that too, <laughs> too fast. <laughs> I believe that was supposed to set up a pay per view uh, down the line, a tag match between. Dusty and and the group there. Uh, that's money, I guess. Yeah, nothing like uh, old man Dusty Rhodes coming back in <laughs> the nineties to wrestle. <laughs> I love. I don't remember at what point in the show this was, but they like kind of cut back to Dusty Rhodes 
who I guess was in Hollywood. Oh uh, my God. Yeah. I believe that was earlier in the show. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have any idea what he was filming? I don't remember what he was filming. Uh, cause I got to find that movie, whatever it is. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember, but, um, he did say that he wasn't retired and he was still in his prime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's still shucking and jiving. He's still as as athletic as ever. He was he was definitely not in his prime. He was <laughs> I will go as far as call him a liar. <laughs> this was this this was post polka dots, right? Yes. In WWF. Okay, that's right. Uh yeah. But uh <laughs> so it only gets better from here, folks. Don't worry. Got uh Ric Flair. Ric Flair defending his WCW title against a mystery opponent. Nothing like Ric Flair in the mid card, eh? <laughs> yeah, he probably didn't mind it, right? He has no ego. Our WCW title, Ric Flair, <laughs> it all goes together. Throw him out there in the lit up match. Let the, let the crowd get their popcorn. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, but his opponent seems like he has eaten a lot of popcorn in his day. Barry Windham. Announced. Well, what about <laughs> that glorious pre-match video package? Really hyping this mystery opponent up. Colonel Parker has an assassin of his own to take out Ric Flair. Uh, I was trying. To, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to get into that. I mean, if you if you uh, I was didn't have to ignore that one Colonel Parker, he's back for more. <laughs> well, one thing about this podcast is I have a Colonel Parker quota, and it was met a long time ago. But God, yeah, he brings them out. Brings Wyndham out, his terrible bangs and his light blonde hair, doughy body, terrible, like I guess his injured knee. And now he's going to face Ric Flair for the WCW title. Just printing money. God. Um, What's funny is they would uh, run this feud and match back four years later in 98, in which Wyndham uh, would be bought by Eric Bischoff. <laughs> that sounds about right. I'm building up uh, to a pay-per-view match between Ric Flair and his son against Barry Windham. <laughs> it's a wonder how that company didn't stay alive. Yeah, I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, like if you lived through the Four Horsemen days, I suppose this match would have some appeal. Even though I think they already did a Barry Windham Ric Flair feud many years before this. Am I correct? I believe they did. Yes. So it's like it was rehashing another thing, just adding the, the Colonel Sanders guy into the mix because that's going to make it better, I guess. Um, but I gotta say, I, I did like the finish of this. Well, in some as- aspects I did because you forget how, I mean, Brick Flair at, at this point even was wrestling for goddamn a hundred years at this point, but the way he was able to, flip over the top rope within that, that classic, you know, front flip over the turnbuckle run to the opposite turnbuckle, hop up there like a cat, hit him with a double ax handle. And, uh, yeah, that's what gets him to win here, which is uh, kind of surprising to me, but I did, uh, I did like parts of this match. I think honestly, you know, we, we make fun of this match, but I feel like this is probably the best match so far of the night. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Rick, Rick, Rick Flair can do no wrong. Uh, he yeah. carried he carried a, a less than mobile Barry Windham. Uh, his knee was clearly bothering him. I kind of wish they would have worked that into the match more. 
just so they could actually have an excuse yeah, for right. Wyndham to be grounded. <laughs> like, <laughs> 13 minutes. It was fine. I did like fine. the finish. Uh, of course, Colonel Parker. <laughs> I mean, five for five. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, exactly. laughs> Fuck. God, it just all blurs together. It's like this, this, this show was one big managerial interference. Well, I mean, the sixth match didn't have a manager involved. Instead, we got something else. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh it was something else. No doubt about that. We have a Broad Street Bully match, which is a uh, street fight for all intents and purposes. And uh, this is like for the tag team titles. Like What's that? I like goofy names like this. Broad Street Bully. They uh, they brought in. I don't need it. Ah, oh, come on. It was named. It was named after this special guest referee. The uh, the uh, the uh, enforcer of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, oh, shit. What was his name? Schultz. Uh, Schultz, yep. the Broad Street Bullies, because back in uh, the older older sports days, they used to actually have names for like groups of players and tag teams, and they would actually market guys and these crazy things. So mm-hmm. I like I like things like this. Uh, I would we see AEW kind of doing wacky names like that. Uh, I, I think it's fun when wrestling would do these things. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm not too offended by it, but uh, <laughs> oof, this match. Chaos, I guess would be a word for it. Dude, this was awesome. It, yeah, it was because especially when you like put yourself in, in the shoes of 1994, you weren't seeing this kind of stuff. Oh, God. Not at all. So, I mean, even but even by today's standards, this, this was super brutal. It was brutal. It was nonsense. It was just just from the get go. It was just nonstop fun. It was under 10 minutes. So keep that in mind. (laughs) (laughs) God, yeah, it was like it it took them literally two seconds to get out of the ring once the bell rang and it was just nonstop. There was no breathing. There was no setups. It was just let's hit each other with objects for 10 minutes until the finish. (laughs) <laughs> pile drivers on the ramp you got trash cans you got uh what else was there guitar shots i think oh that that came funny that was later i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> so, uh mr mr uh famous philly flyer schultz was the special guest referee wore his uh his hockey jersey he came out with the hockey stick because he plays hockey i don't know i don't know if that was really <laughs> really bashing the crowd over the head with the fact that he's a hockey player yeah, uh, yeah, David Schultz of the the seventies Flyers. I, th- I don't know why I was thinking he was from the eighties, but um, yeah, he uh, he he was just basically there to count the pin, and uh, boy, did he <laughs> something like that. Yeah, <laughs> this motherfucker not only counts the fast counts the pin, he gets involved because you can't touch his fucking hockey stick. He, <laughs> I did get a pop out of him uh, pulling the jersey over Sags and gooning him up. Like Dude, a hockey you, player would. That was that was a very good spot. I popped hard for that. I was like, you could Hell tell, yeah. <laughs> you could tell he was having so much fun with that because at first, like the first punches before the shirt, he was like trying to work it. But then once he pulled that shirt over, it was like, oh, all bets are off. I'm I'm back on the hockey rank with this shit. Oh, it was great. It was I I, I like hell. I like to think he was shoot punting, uh, shoot shoot punching Mr. Sags there. <laughs> the oh, everybody was shoot everything in this match. Good was, God. Oh yeah, it was just laid in. Oh, laid in harder. 
Yeah. Open chair shot to the head. Absolutely. Give it to me. How about how about that lighting rig over there? Oh, yeah. Hit me in the back of the head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really was like they had no plan and they were just finding random stuff they found on the ground and they were hitting each other with it. Oh, it was great. Cactus Jack doing elbow drops onto a trash can to the cement floor. <laughs> <laughs> it's how is that dude still walking? I have no Tell idea. His like this is why his hips are just thrashed. Right. He's doing things like that. He should he should be in a wheelchair ten years ago. Same with like Jeff Hardy, like those kind of guys. I guess if you do it so much, maybe you get callous to it. Oh, I don't Who know. I, I, maybe they're just made out of metal at this point, <laughs> sent from another planet or something. Good God! But uh, did you have a favorite spot in this match? Dude, I'm gonna be honest. It all blended blended together. I will say, you know what? Yes. Although, actually, no. It was post match. It was my favorite part of this whole deal. When uh, so yeah the. Cactus, I don't even know if I mentioned who was fighting in this match. It was Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan versus the Nasty Boys. So Jack and Sullivan end up getting the win after um, someone gets hit with a hockey stick. Is it is is it is it Sullivan hitting one of the Nasty Boys? It is Sags, I believe, because Knobs was seemingly never in the ring. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, yeah, so Cactus Jack, Kevin Sullivan win the titles. But then there's a whole hullabaloo after the match, which brings out Max Payne to <laughs> a very whelmed crowd. Oh, um, my God. I could not believe. I was like, who the fuck is that? I was like, I was really questioning. Is that Tugboat? Is that? Earth- <laughs> no, it's not Earthquake. It's definitely not Earthquake. I was like, who is that? He was like, it's Max Payne. I was like, who? <laughs> <laughs> I only know him. That. Just this fat giant dude comes out with a guitar because I don't know. And uh. he pelts the shit out of poor Brian Sags or Brian Knobs or whatever their first names were. Who gives a shit? Don't Smoke even, goes don't everywhere. Even remember at this point, <laughs> the guitar explodes into like a fireball and <laughs> <laughs> hits him in the back of the everybody head. Everybody has guitars filled with talcum powder from gymnastics class. <laughs> Apparently. Good God. Um, but that was just, it was a very satisfying guitar shot. I definitely thought Sags was concussed. Oh, they're all concussed. They, they all walked in concussed. Apparently nobody went to the hospital after this match. Yeah. Well, no serious injuries. I think they're lying. They just didn't tell anybody. You <laughs> can Sags a long time to get out of the ring. <laughs> I believe you that they didn't go to the hospital. I don't believe that there were no serious injuries. <laughs> this was a time where I was like, ah, fucking just rub some dirt in it. Take a, take a, whatever you, pain, whatever painkiller they were taking I'll during this time. Ludos or whatever they were called. I was, I was trying to think of a street name for it. Whatever the ECW boys were taking. I, I bet Terry Funk had his connections. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you think he, he took us, took a few things to get him nice and numb? I don't, I, I mean, at least a bottle of whiskey just poured over, like soaked in it. Pours all filled. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely love this match. It was the best match on the on the entire show because it didn't have a managerial interference. At least when the referee got involved this time, because <laughs> there has to be some sort of shenanigans. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least he had a fun spot. Don't touch my hockey stick. I'm the hockey player. Then the the goon fight and. Uh, could have used without the fast count but i'll just talk that up to he was just super excited because the nasty boys are well i don't know if you heard this but they're nasty (laughs) no doubt about that i don't think they compare it to max Payne's nastiness but uh 
God, that dude just looks like he smells bad. This is the first thing I thought of when I saw him. I'm sure he did. God. I'm sure he was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but man. Now, that brings us to the main event. Ready to rumble, etc., etc. Sting versus oh, Vader. Michael Buffer uh, called the ref by the wrong name. So... Can't, I, 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 I can't stand Michael Buffer. I don't know what it is. <laughs> He's just an asshole. He, to my left, the man in black with red. Tri- yeah, we see him. Well, yeah, because he called Dickhead. real sports. It's got to be. It's got to be the boxing. You know, the MMA. Uh, yeah. All the, the 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 things. The real things you're not watching. Got to call it exactly <sighs> like that. His over embellishment of, of of where these people come from. Their all their accolades. That's eh, Michael Buffer. Coming down to the ring, uh, this man has a really well-kept lawn. His taxes are all in order. Just needless facts as, as they're coming to the Oh, they're ridiculous. Like, it gets way better in later WCW when he when he does uh, wacky main events on Nitro for no reason. And he's just, yeah. he lists off the most random things. Uh, like, th- you got it. You got to, you got to write it down word for word one time. Uh, where just the wordage he uses is very strange. Uh, just yeah. something that pops into my head is uh, from the War Games in '98, where he goes, "The winner will mandatory <laughs> by mandatory means have to face Goldberg if they win this match. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have a choice," according to Michael Buffer. <laughs> mandatory means wasn't that like a pay per view or something WCW did? Oh no, no, no. That, that, that I mean. If Russo was booking it, he he would have uh, probably uh, come to something like that. But it was it was mostly about the deadly sins later. Ooh. Sold out. Oh, that was definitely one. Uh, o- o- always one of the worst pay-per-views WCW would put on Fucking every year. <laughs> douche chills every single time. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but this main event here for the international title. Uh, Sting versus Vader. I actually, I quite enjoyed this match for what it was. Um, cause Vader, you know, it's, it's not peak Vader by any means, um, but not like not too far off. I don't think, mm, um, I mean, he was definitely past his prime. Uh, he still had a lot to give. Uh, he was yeah. out of, uh, new Japan. I believe he was also out of all Japan at this time. Um, right. I believe he was in the UWF. If I have my facts straight, that sounds right. I think that's what he was, uh, going back and forth between, uh, WCW and, and that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he was definitely on the downslope, but he was still. Look, if he, Vader could do a moonsault off the top rope at this point, I'm going to give him all the credit in the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he could he could wrestle his big man simple style. Uh, well, and yeah. he did until the day he died, pretty much. He couldn't walk anymore. Uh, that's how special Vader was. Uh, people like putting, you know, Mount Rushmore's or top tens together for favorite wrestlers or just best wrestlers ever. In my opinion, uh, Big Van Vader here is one of the best of all time. I definitely put him in my top 10. Absolutely, yeah. Just super unique. He was a draw in many different companies. Uh, (laughs) Ironically, the only company that never booked him well was WWF, the land of giants, as people would say. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Just shows that W... Spoiler, I'm not a big WWE fan. <laughs> uh-huh. Man, really? Really? I couldn't tell. Yeah, I couldn't tell, right? So yeah, Vader Vader was awesome. This match was no exception. Uh I've seen better Sting Vader matches, but this one was still still good. If uh 
if there wasn't every single match with a manager interference or ref bump of some kind beforehand, I probably would have thought about this match different, but I was checked out over ref bumps, manager interferences, uh, DQs. <laughs> like, can we please have one clean finish? This card was not meant to be. <laughs> hey, but at least this main event had zero managers involved, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did get a kick out of the finish, even though, you know, managers aside, it had, um, so Vader misses the moonsault. Sting goes for the pin. Fucking <laughs> Harley race. who has got to be what? Six, 50, 60 at this point. Yeah. Gets to the top rope, goes for the headbutt, misses. Cause Sting moves out of the way, hits Vader by accident. And then so <laughs> my, one funny. Of my, like the funniest rap. part, not a DQ, eh? Okay, cool. <laughs> No, but speaking of the ref, the funniest part is the way that <laughs> the ref just shit cans Harley Race out of the ring. Just like shoves him out. Oh, yeah, it was great. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> he was having, was it Randy Anderson or Nick Patrick? I forget who was the ref here. They both kind of looked the well, same. Well, Michael Buffer called him Randy Anderson. His name's Randy Peterson. <laughs> was it not Randy? Wasn't Randy Anderson a person, though? Maybe. I don't the know. The referee was Randy Peterson, the guy who. Nah. Uh, the, the famous angle on Nitro later in which uh, I believe it was the same guy where um, he would actually come down with cancer, fight it, survive it. And then they used it in an angle on Nitro because WCW and they uh-huh. fired him on live TV, which was apparently a shoot firing. Because why wouldn't it be right? Because <laughs> WCW classy people. Yeah, that sounds like 2000 WCW. No, that was like 96, 97. Okay, okay. Years later. (laughs) Yeah, you can't can't have all wins, I guess. You got to have a few L's in there. Yeah. Oh, my God, that angle is horrible. He like brought out his wife and child and Eric Bischoff berated him on live TV. He's like, ah, we don't need you. But was anybody on a pole or a forklift? No, that was definitely uh, 99, 2000. Oh, okay. So you see my timelines mixed up there. I think that's the problem. (laughs) polls come in later (laughs) god viagra on a pole can't wait till we get there yeah the harley race interference was ridiculous he just he just waddles his way out because you know oh it's fantastic yeah he he, (laughs) although the ref taking the crossbody was outstanding i love that he probably was pissed off that he had to take a like a 275 pound sting onto him (laughs) yeah yeah, that was yeah a lot of velocity. Sting did looked brutal, but uh, yeah, God bless the ref for that man, as you said. But yeah, the the uh, the finish after the the ref just says "fuck you" to Harley Race and boots him out of there. Sting goes to the top rope. It's a frog splash on Vader who had just gotten headbutted. Sting pins Vader and wins the international championship. So. Do you, do you know how long they keep this international title in the picture? Because I know it was brought in due to some like contract disputes or something like that. Well, am I right? I don't. I don't remember uh, the facts, and I should have looked it up. The uh, what happened with the international title? But no, it's it. It doesn't last very long. No, because it was God. I forget. I forget. I, I looked it up, but I forgot. It was like somebody from some company had the world title, but they didn't want to drop it, and then they went to another company. I don't know. So some hullabaloo happened yeah, there. But it, I'm probably mistaken on this, but I think the idea was to have a, instead of always, because um, they had a big connection with New Japan and uh, occasionally something with other other companies, that they wanted a title to be interchangeable 
between promotions so -hmm. they could actually have finishes for between companies, major stars. I think that was the idea behind it. Right. Which which makes sense for why this title was competed for in Japan. When you think about it would be freaking awesome. Like in 2020. Yeah. Let's say hypothetically new Japan, AEW and triple a in Mexico have one title that just goes between the companies at any point mm-hmm. given time. You actually see that in New Japan with the Rev Pro title? Yes. Yep. Yep, and they kind of flirted with that AEW did. I guess that was before they were officially AEW, but they had, you know, some uh, AAA tag team title defenses yeah, some on, uh, I think it was All Out or whatever. Yeah. I think so. that would be a really cool concept. Um, it, it, companies, I think, are more, or at least some are more level-headed uh, nowadays. And you don't yeah. have a, uh, you don't have the wrestlers themselves going. I'm not taking that pinball for that guy kind of situation because they don't feel exactly. like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you see that kind of with AEW and NWA. There's a lot of definitely a lot of crossover there, uh, particularly with like Thunder Rosa. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that is something. This international title concept is something that I think would fit in well with like, like I said, AEW, New Japan. You could throw ROH in there, NWA. Yeah, it would be it would be uh, really cool to see how something that this concept would would manifest itself in 2020. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. So that pretty much brings us to the close of oh, we're Salambari. not going to mention that Sting. Uh, they 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 spent this whole time hyping up this main event that was false advertised. Sting mm-hmm. beats the the giant, unstoppable Vader in a main event clean. And uh, why would you have a top ba- possible babyface celebrate in the ring? Now nah, you gotta have no, Vader no, no. throw a hissy fit outside, and then walk away with a broken Harley race. It was <laughs> so Sting wins. He celebrates for two seconds, then he walks to the back, and then after he's gone, they hit the pyro while it's just Vader in the ring. And then they just throw it to Heenan and Tony Schiavone for just an anticlimactic ending. Maybe I'm just conditioned to the way like WWE and AEW nowadays kind of finish their pay-per-views. But it was, it was just an odd pace to how the show ended, in my oh, opinion. Oh, this was a lesson to be learned. Uh, seven for seven <laughs> on the show of either garbage finishes or interference. Like, yeah, horrible it's it's horrible it's it's a it's i found it fun to watch in a historical sense uh obviously because i do a lot of uh, retro wrestling myself <laughs> that's kind that's of brandon that's some good brandon one of, one of my <laughs> one of my shticks one might say uh-huh. uh so i like I, li- I like the i like the wrestlers on the show i like i like seeing all the different styles i like seeing how wrestling has evolved and gotten in my opinion way better in a lot of sense mm-hmm. uh to what we see nowadays yeah, but yeah, you may, I mean, just just something as simple as watching a post match celebration uh, and something I think a lot of people are are watching nowadays. Let's take Moxley winning the title from Jericho as an example or mm-hmm. Okada winning the main event at Wrestle Kingdom. You know, you not only get the huge celebration of them winning the title, the big baby face on top, you get the confetti falling from the ceiling and you get that post match promo thanking the crowd how a Baby faces made. And what does WCW do here with one on the rise, a former champion, mind you, Sting? Camera out, show the heel. He's all mad and hissy fit. We're out of here. Yeah, we got it. We got it. We got it. Get out of here, Steve. They got the idea. Ridiculous. Let's bring, let's bring out Colonel Parker again. Why? I don't know. 
And they wonder and they wonder why they couldn't fill up stadiums uh, during this era and why it took such leaps and bounds and a lot of money uh, to bring in talent from the past. And God, that's yeah. also why it didn't last very long. It only lasted a few years. Yeah, you can't sustain yourself with uh, with that kind of mentality because it's, it's it's so fascinating to me this time period because you know you have WCW, WWF, ECW. How you know do you have people just hop in from promotion to promotion? Like we got Cactus Jack is about to leave, uh, Steve Austin, Johnny B. Bad, um, got Hulk Hogan coming in. You got. All this stuff, you know, you got Razor, obviously Scott Hall, Kevin Nash coming in in a, a year or two. What, what, it was such a volatile time. Yeah, wrestling. and if it, if it wasn't for, I mean, the shock was Hogan didn't help WCW's business, not much at all. It didn't it didn't make the spark, and to and and the way the uh, the way history ended up being it was they had to turn him heel because it just didn't work. Yeah, yeah, I mean. You know, they really could have just done some benchmarking and watched how the crowd reacted to him in his last, you know, couple matches in WWF. You know, the crowd was getting tired of Hogan. They were getting tired of that just general kind of character and style, which is why 94, 95, that's why WWF suffered so much is because they were still trying to do that. They couldn't get their audience and they were losing a lot of their audience as well. Yeah. Yeah, they were kind of harping on old school mentality and not trying to evolve their style with the evolution of pop culture at the time, which eventually they would. Well, you ironically, would see that in the Attitude Era. Yeah, ironically enough, in WCW, it took, um, I believe it was Eric Bischoff going to Japan and seeing a few shows and what they were doing, uh, changing with the times. Um, mm-hmm. If you want, I mean, I'm watching uh, New Japan in the 90s. And seeing how they're evolving from the 80s to the 90s, and all Japan, I I check in, see some of the the uh, relevant shows or matches um, over there, and seeing how New Japan's more or less still relying on a lot of their past stars rather than the new ones that they're trying to get over, uh, your Chono and Muto of the world. Mm-hmm. While all Japan has their new people on the rise, and funny enough more fans went to all Japan in the time. Yeah. So we could argue all day that WWF losing a lot of their stars to the bigger money promotion, at least with the bigger pocket in this case, WCW, they were forced to make new stars. They were forced to sign. You could quote unquote WCW rejects, if you will, right? The Steve Austin cactus jacks of the world and build them up. And, and, uh, utilize their development system and actually try to get them over uh it's you see you see a pattern here and in what's going on in say today's wrestling yeah yeah Yeah, and that's that's definitely i think yeah it's, it's a lesson learned from this time period i think there's a lot more emphasis in some way yeah it's it's not perfect you know they still you see that a lot in wwe and AEW. um bringing in old names for to pop some ratings or whatnot but that's just the product of you know, you can you can train these guys. You can teach them all the technical stuff. You can you know put a give them a, a catchphrase and some cool entrance music. But at the end of the day, there's not a lot of big mainstream stars nowadays. And I feel like like yeah, that's kind of maybe that there are a lot of parallels between where WCW is in 1994 and where wrestling is now. 
Oh yeah, I mean you could you can mix you could uh, just to compare WCW and WWF of the ninety three ninety four era, and how unpopular and unmainstream it really was, and how looked down upon it was in the industry uh, stigma wise to WWE and AEW. You know, a lot of companies are doing the pros and cons to what the era used to be, and I I really see a lot of parallels to this era where we've seen here today uh, to the era we're going, we're living through right now or obviously COVID aside mm-hmm. yeah. uh, just from the, the way the industry's moving and the way television's moving and the way stars are being groomed. Who, who was having a tough time making new stars during this time? It was WWF, right? Mm-hmm. While WCW had the quote unquote stars, AKA let's say AW has the Jericho and the Kenny Omega of, a different market, right? But they are, they yeah. are stars. Who is going to be the one to actually built up the new ones? That's what's most interesting. And that's why going back to eras like this and seeing, you know, the Steve Austin in the undercard here and w- what we know he became, uh, sting, sting as well. Who, who rises up, who falls? Uh, I just like, I just like seeing the parallels of, then and now it's pretty cool yeah yeah and that's that's really why i I go through all these shows i you know wcw 94 you know wwf and all that stuff eventually factory and ecw it's just just such an interesting time capsule to go and look at how they did things back then and you know kind of similarities in competition back then because you know a hot button topic topic today you know AEW versus wwe and there's a lot of similarities you know with uh wwf and wcw back back then Um, and it all plays to, you know, how they build new stars and what really brings in a new audience for each of the companies. Cause in 1994, they're struggling, but within a year or two, it's, it's all, it's all bets are off. Yeah. And if, and if you want a concept of how, uh, still more popular wrestling was at the time, at least on, in a TV sense, Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat in WCW the week prior drew a (laughs) 2.4. Uh-huh. As opposed to say the 1.6 that Raw is doing these days. Yeah. And then WWF, two days after this pay-per-view, uh Yokozuna and Earthquake had a sumo match that did 3.5. One was good wrestling, <laughs> one was not. <laughs> yeah, it really, you know, puts in perspective, you know, the wrestling quality, quote unquote, really isn't the variable that matters. It's kind of the characters and the entertainment value, which I don't know. Maybe somebody was entertained by Yokozuna versus Earthquake. Oh, I remember that match. I was not entertained. And uh, Ric Flair Steamboat, they had wrestled so many times at that point. Uh, but yep. stars are star- stars will be stars. Uh, you just got to hit the market, right? And what is that? What are pe- What do people want? WCW couldn't figure it out uh, during this era. WWF was still struggling uh, with their golden era type stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun. I, I look forward to uh, listening to more of the apron bump on your journey <laughs> as <laughs> well, you go I through these tough it. times. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know what? I might just have to bring you on again and have you suffer through it with me a little bit more at some point. I'd be happy to. I'd, I would be happy to be back because I always love watching uh, watching old stuff and comparing it to the new. Absolutely. Um, but yes, yeah, Lambery. It was a show that happened. That's. For sure. Um, but yeah, man, thanks again 
for uh for for making some time coming on here and talking to me or talking with me about some uh some suspect wrestling. Oh, thanks for having me and the lawnmowers outside. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> it only enhanced the show. I think you could call it my managerial interference. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But uh, yeah, do you have anything else that you want to promote? Oh, well, I mean, obviously listen to the Redleaf Retrocast. Uh, if you're a fan of gaming, anime, and of course, wrestling, uh, do a bi-weekly wrestling podcast. It's all on the Redleaf Retrocast uh, site branding. Uh, every two weeks come out with uh, not so much the wrestling maybe everyone is super familiar with. I do AEW reviews with my mom, who is a lapsed fan of 20 years. And mm-hmm. she's just gotten back into wrestling, AEW in particular. So we review that. Uh, these days, watch a lot of Japanese wrestling, uh, New Japan, Dragon Gate. I don't think there's a lot of podcasts about that. DDT, the comedy promotion, which compared to AEW a lot. That's where uh, Kenny Omega faced the uh, blow-up doll, right? <laughs> that that did happen once upon a time. So did Kota Ibushi. <laughs> Can't forget about that. The New Japan star. It's not just Kenny Omega. That's a pretty uh, good match, hey, though, I'm going to be honest. Dude, Yoshihiko, the blow-up doll makes stars you can't deny super this. over <laughs> super over too. uh former iron heavy heavy metalweight champion too that sounds uh, made up and then do a lot of women's wrestling uh the best in the best in the world the joshi she- joshi scene stardom ice ribbon and the like and then of course the retro stuff we do all japan women uh almost in the 90s did the entire 80s uh new japan through the 90s going through that journey currently uh currently uh in 1993 and then uh WCW myself, we just started 1999. The next episode will be the dreaded finger poke of doom episode. Ooh, uh, doggy. Spoiler, it's worse than you remember. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard time believing that. Oh, yeah, because most people only remember the poke. You don't remember the show. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's probably for the best. It is. Did you know Goldberg gets arrested on the show for stalking? You know, I believe it. Yeah. Good stuff. No, no WCW trouble believing that. WCW. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. This, uh, you're, you're like my go-to Japan. Because uh, I, follow, I follow you on Twitter as well. And yeah, I love... Because I, I, I'm kind of in and out with Japanese wrestling. Um, I, I usually watch the the climax. But uh, this year, I've kind of... I've only been... I've only seen a few matches here. Oh, uh, the G1's but, uh, been very good. Uh, we, at the... Uh, as we go on, we go through a... Uh, I'll be doing a top 20 G1 matches. Because uh, there's Perfect. so many, uh, co-host is doing a top ten himself, so that'll that'll keep you up to date. Uh, the stories involved with the G1, what's going on? It's bi-weekly, so we we do a little. Uh, it's a little bit quicker in how we cover right. things. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out because yeah, hey, I just I, I try to keep up with it, but it's just it's just so much. It's so much. But uh, yeah, for anyone listening, you want a unique look. At wrestling, I don't think, yeah, like like you said, I don't think anybody's doing podcasts on Japanese wrestling, at least to the extent that you do. Uh, yeah, a lot of people stick to just uh, New Japan. Maybe there's a couple All Japan ones out there, but uh, there's definitely not a lot of DDT and Dragon Gate ones yeah, out yeah. there. That's for sure. <laughs> that's a very more, unique, very unique podcast. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, used, yeah. I used to do a lot of European wrestling. Uh, I did live in Germany for a while, so WXW, but with. Uh, with the state of the world now, European wrestling is basically totally shut down, so there's nothing going on. Basically, have you um, watched Progress? Oh, absolutely, every every single one. Perfect. Well, I do um, at least like once a month, maybe once every two months. I do uh, 
an episode covering a chapter or two of progress. So maybe I'll uh, I'll reach back out to you. I think I'm on chapter because I just started. I think I'm on chapter seven. You're about to go into yeah the uh, the start of Will Osprey, a very young uh, flippy one at the time. Yes, You're about to right. go into the reign of Jimmy Havoc, which is one of the better. Obviously, a lot of these names are going to strike uh, bad chords these days for obvious yeah. reasons. Legero. There's, I mean, that's what's, I think, tough about European wrestling right now is a lot of the scrutiny that comes with it. Uh, it yeah. It's my recommendation is try to it's good wrestling. It's good booking. It's just unfortunate. The real people involved and uh, guilty or not or innocent or what have you, you're still just going to have to try to get by it. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, I can still watch Chris Benoit matches. So I can watch a Leggero match. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can kind of compartmentalize yeah. it a little bit. But uh, yeah, so that's pretty much all I have. Uh, once again, man, thanks for coming on. Definitely want to bring you on again at some point. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Man, oh, man. Once again, thank you to JD from the Red Leaf Retrocast for joining me on this tomfoolery of an episode but i definitely had fun and hopefully y'all did too amongst amongst our rambling about wcw in the mid 90s um yeah apronbump.com redleafretrocast.blogspot.com follow me follow him follow your mother follow this dick bitch uh okay sorry <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys once again for listening. I'm hard.